0: I I wanna just say what an uh, what an honor it is to be invited and I have just the highest degree of respect for the elders and the staff of this church who have given up more than you can imagine um, to lead through some really hard times. I I don't know if you'll ever really fully know how much sacrifice and faith was involved in leading, but I I just have such admiration. And I wanna ask you as a congregation. To never cease praying for your leaders here. Uh, God has given you such a gift in the people who lead you. Uh, Please support them strongly in prayer. And when they ask anything of the church, be the first in line to say, Yes, we will. I think it will make their service such a joy. I'm so grateful uh, to be here again today. I see so many familiar faces, old friends, and hopefully some new friends. I heard that Pastor Frank preached here. He's been preaching here a lot. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> I, we hadn't seen him in like a month, and we're like, "Where has he been?" He's been over here. I heard that he preached on Matthew 1 last time. And it's interesting because that has been Matthew 1: 121 was my memory verse for this week. I don't know if it's your practice to memorize Scripture. I didn't memorize Scripture for a really long time. I used to do it as a kid, and I stopped. I started this practice up again recently. Uh, about three years ago, and I'm finding at my age, I memorize a verse every week. I can't do one daily. I used to. I just memorize one verse a week, and by the end of the week, I have it perfectly memorized until the next week, and then I memorize a new one, and the new one pushes the old one out of my memory. That's just the way old people's memory works. And even still, I think having a memory verse deposited in my spirit once a week has been very good for my soul. My memory verse for this past week has been Matthew one twenty one, and it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I love that the Advent theme today is love, because that's what I want to preach about. You know, we often focus Christmas messages on the baby Jesus arriving. But I want to focus today on why he came in the first place. Because this is not just another baby. I know um, in Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby always refers to him as Baby Jesus. He didn't stay a baby. And the reason Baby Jesus came was different than the reason every other baby comes to this world. He came primarily to be a sacrifice. And it would be through his horrific death and sacrifice and through his rising from death that humanity would have an eternal hope. That was the whole reason he came to begin with. It's a reminder that though Jesus came to do many things, he came to heal us, he came to show God's love to us, he came to help us conquer some of the challenges that we face, he came to bless us, he came to be God near us, but the primary thing he came to do was to save his people from their sins, And it's important to repeat that because that's something that I believe the American church is forgetting very quickly. We don't even like to talk very much about sin because we're largely focused on the sin others commit against us. Many in the church today find ourselves thinking of ourselves as victims of other people's wrongdoing rather than those who, standing before God, have done wrong and are in need of forgiveness. That was the primary mission of Jesus. And he came to do this not, uh, really, the reason he came to do this was because he was expressing, at the most deep level, what love looks like. Love is sacrifice. If you've ever loved anyone with your whole heart, you will know this, You cannot love someone deeply without sacrifice. Every parent in this room should be nodding their heads vigorously. Because parenting is sacrifice. If you're in a long-term relationship, in a marriage, you know that you cannot stay together for very long without sacrifice. Love is built on sacrifice. And sacrificial love is transforming love. It changes the people that are loved. I want to explore that through the passage that, uh, can I just call you Dave, or should I be calling you Elder Cho, or His Holiness, or what, okay, all right, Dave read for us Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10, it might be familiar to you if you've grown up in the church, it's a story of Zacchaeus, one of my favorite Bible characters, and you might guess why. He is the Bible's Joe Pesci. He is the patron saint of all short dudes everywhere. And I love his story because it's a story of the transforming love of Jesus. It's a story of a man who was lost and then he was found and then he was changed. Profoundly changed by the love of Jesus. And that's his story, but if you are in Jesus today, you know that that's also your story. You would not be here today had it not been for that story. The last verse of the passage that Dave
1: read for us says, For the Son of Man came to seek
0: and save those who are lost. That's how Jesus self-describes his central mission. He says, My main reason for coming is to seek and to save those who are lost. And that word lost is a bit tricky, isn't it? Because it can sound a bit like an accusation or a a, a derogatory statement. When you look at someone and say, you're lost, that's usually not said as a compliment. And so when people hear that they're described by the Bible as lost people, they take offense at that, and I understand that completely. If lost is a matter of, like, you got yourself lost, you're hopeless, you're terrible, If that's the way you hear it, then it would be an offensive word. But the way that Jesus speaks it is from the heart of a father to his children. He's not simply saying that those people are lost, but that they are lost to the father. If you've ever had a child whose heart drifted far from you, who turned off their affection towards you, who maybe even ran away from home and did not want to return, if you've ever had someone you deeply loved who turned their back and walked away from you, and no matter how much your heart called out to them, they would not return to you, you know what it feels like to have someone who is lost to you. And in that heart, all you can think about is, I want you to return. I want you to come home to me. It's in that sense that Jesus says he is sent by the Father to seek, and to save those who are lost to God. It's not an insult. It's not an accusation, but it is an accurate description of people who are far from God, separated from God by their sin, by their unbelief. They have removed themselves from the presence and love of God.
1: You can be lost
0: and not know that you're lost. You can be lost and not even feel like you're lost. Because for many lost people, they are where, right where they want to be because lost is not primarily about how you feel, it's about how the Father feels about you. Lost is a way for God to describe how his heart longs for those who he lovingly made but are not in his family. And he
1: longs for those people come home.
0: This particular man also probably did not feel very lost because he had something that most people want that makes them feel protected from all of life's hardships. It says that he was powerful and very rich. And I don't know about you, but if you're powerful and rich, Very few things affect you the way they affect everybody else. It gives you a layer of protection against all the hardships of life. It even gives you a protection over your inner heart. You can harden your heart against certain things if you have a lot of money because you can distract yourself, you can protect yourself. And so for this man, he didn't particularly feel lost, but something was going on in his life. You know, until the age of 16, I had been to church more than 500 times. I had listened to scripture read, I had listened to sermons and lessons teach or taught, I had given offering, I had said prayers in front of other people, and yet I was lost. I knew many Bible stories by heart, I could recite them to children in church, but I was lost. I generally knew the difference between right and wrong, Morally. I tried as hard as I could to do what was right, because I was told that's what good kids do. But I failed a lot. But I knew the difference. And I was still lost. I tried to be a good person.
1: But I was lost.
0: And then halfway into my 16th year of life, I was found. And I was found in the most unlikely place in a situation I never expected to meet God. I was at a youth retreat, and I was only there for one purpose. It was to meet other youth of the female persuasion. I was there to meet girls. That's the whole reason I was going to church at all, was I, I wanted to meet all the girls. And I went to this retreat, and instead I met Jesus, and he completely shattered my entire world, and put me back together. I have never been the same since that day, but I understood on that day just how lost I had been,
1: and then I was found. As Jesus describes
0: his heart, and as the story unfolds and he encounters this little man, I think it's a story that many of us can relate to who were once lost and then were found by Jesus. It says that Jesus entered Jericho, a pretty big city, and he made his way through the town, and there was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector. That's like the difference between vice president and president. Right? It's a big difference. Chief means you are at the top of the food chain. And the tax collectors are the ones who represented those in power and levied all the taxes on people so that when he came up to you and said, you owe this much, you had no choice. The force of the whole government was behind him. And because there was not very much accountability, the way the tax collectors made their money, they got a little bit of salary, but they also added more on top of what was owed. So let's say... Let's say Dave, you owed $1,000 in taxes. I would say to you, you owe $2,000 in taxes. What can you do against me? You have no power. Whatever I tell you you owe, you have to pay. And then I would take 1000 <laughs> give it to the people that are, are supposed to get it, and I would keep the other 1000 for myself. That's the way tax collecting worked in the old world without computers and accountability. That's just the way tax collectors made their money. And as a result, he became what? It says not just rich. If you're rich, you're you're kind of comfortable. But rich people every day wake up wishing they were very rich. Very rich is a different word. It's a word that says one of the primary ways to describe you is you have a lot of money, and that money is one of your leading characteristics. It's probably what you most trust to get you out of trouble. It's probably what makes you feel good about yourself. What makes you feel safe as you face the unknowns of the future? Probably in a suburban church, that describes many of our hearts. That what truly gives us confidence and a sense of security is the money in the bank plus the God behind us. And I know that's the case because when I see people in my orbit who suddenly lose a lot of their money, the God behind them doesn't make them feel nearly as safe as the money that was in their bank. This is a very rich man, very, very rich. And it made him feel protected against the things in his life. And yet, something was going on in this little man named Zacchaeus. And so one day, he heard that Jesus, this celebrated teacher, was coming to his city. And he made a point of going out in the morning just to get a glimpse at him. He really wanted to see who he was. Now, as a chief tax collector, he didn't care that some of the money he was stealing from people was important to them. They needed it to live. And, and as he stole that money from them, he was putting them in a very bad position. But he didn't seem to care. He kept doing it again and again and again. And I wonder why, because everybody hated the tax collectors. Everybody. There's no one who liked the tax man. And that's still the case today. I'm sorry if you work for the IRS, but nobody likes you. They may fear you, but they don't like you if you work for the IRS. This is money that we work hard to earn. And then someone goes, hey, give me some of that. And he's got a very big stick, so you have no choice. You give him some of it. He was hated by most people around him. He was feared by most people around him. And he was fine with that. He didn't feel bad. And it it makes you wonder, why would someone treat others so badly? Why would they choose to live this way? Well, we don't know for sure. But I think because much is made of his height, I think we get a little clue. And maybe because I grew up on the shorter side, I can relate a little to the Joe Pesci uh, syndrome, you know, the, the Danny DeVitos of this world. We have a chip on our shoulder. Because everyone seems to universally value height, especially if you're Asian persuasion and some tall guy walks in the and goes, oh, He's tall, and all the shortcuts are like, whatever. Height is overrated. It's not that great. But then secretly, like, I wish I was that tall. To add insult to injury, I used to be 5'7 all through high school. You shrink as you get older. I don't know if you know this. It's not like I could afford to lose a lot of height. I lost an inch and a half. I am now 5'5 and a half. That half is very important to me.
1: He tried to get a look at Jesus,
0: but he was too short to see over the crowd. Despite all his money and all his power, all his influence, here's little Zacchaeus going, man, I can't see this guy. It's humiliating. So he can't take it anymore.
1: And he climbs a tree to get a better look.
0: Nearly everyone literally looked down on Zacchaeus. He had to be feared because he wasn't respected. And often when we are very different from others in some way that's important to us, and usually the thing we most long for, the thing we most envy in others, is the one thing we don't have. So you could be the smartest man in the room, but then you see the best-looking person in the room, you're like, I wish I was handsome. I would give up 85 IQ points to be half as handsome as him. Or I don't know why that person makes money so easily, and every day is a struggle for us. I wish I was rich, or I wish I was, and whatever trait it is, there's probably some trait that others seem to have lots of that's so hard for you. Have you ever been one of those really shy people who sees someone walk in a room all confident, like, hey, how are you doing? Hello. And you're like, how do you just do that? I walk into a room full of people I don't know, and I'm terrified. I'm frozen. I'm paralyzed. How do you just be so comfortable in front of other people? Others have musical talent, and you can barely play chopsticks on the piano. Whatever else it is, it's not just about height. There's always some quality in human beings which we wish we had more of, and if we had it, we would feel good about ourselves, and yet somehow God allowed us to be born with this deficit, something I'm lacking that others seem to have so much of. Confidence, beauty, wealth, whatever it is. For Zacchaeus, his height was a big issue in his life. It was underscored that day because he really wanted to get a glimpse of the celebrated teacher, but he was too short to see over the crowds. And so, as a grown man wearing the best clothes in the whole crowd, he had to climb a tree like a little child just to get a glimpse. But something about his life leading to that day made him ready to try to see Jesus. Sometimes the person who has everything you want to have is still missing something really important inside. And a day comes for many people when they're finally ready to look for Jesus. They realize that the thing that they have a lot of was not enough to silence that yearning in their heart for something more. Maybe you're the smartest person in this room. Maybe you're the richest, the most beautiful, the most athletic, the most musical, the most artistic, whatever you want to call it. And yet somehow all of that leaves still a hole in your heart. And one day you're ready to meet Jesus, because the things that you put in in your heart that elevated you were not enough to make you realize that you're not a whole person inside apart from the God who made you.
1: So Zacchaeus ran ahead of the crowds. When you're shorter,
0: you've got to run twice as hard. And he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road where Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, on the one hand... Zacchaeus, you have to credit him. He's highly motivated. He's running really fast to get ahead of the crowd. And he climbs a tree as a grown man. That's a very humbling thing to do. So you could say that Zacchaeus was really, really motivated to see Jesus and get a better view. But before we give him too much credit, consider this. He was very rich and powerful. He was universally feared in his town. If he just said to the people, move, I want to see... Who's going who's gonna to argue with the guy who makes you pay your taxes? You'll be like, by all means. And don't forget me around April <laughs> when taxes are due. Don't forget I was the guy who let you have my spot in line. Everyone's going to move out for this guy. They're all afraid of him. They fear him. They respect him in that, you know, that fear-based kind of way. If he really wanted to be in the front row, he could have gotten that position very easily. But there's a reason he's up in that tree, and maybe to get a clue as to why. We get a clue from the kind of tree he climbed. It's called the sycamore fig tree. They're all over the Middle East. They look like this. They're huge trees, but the branches start out very low, which is good for a person with my kind of height. You can get into the branches without too much trouble. And this kind of tree has very thick foliage. So lots of leaves. If you're climbing a tree like that, there's plenty of natural cover. And many theorize that the reason Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore fig tree was so that he could be low enough to the ground to get a good view, and he could see, but not many in the crowd would immediately see him. It's a safe distance in order for him to observe God without God seeing him back. And I think that's the natural way that so many people make their approach. I think, and this is not said as a... As, um, an insult or to be derogatory, but I think that's one of the reasons mega churches have flourished in America. It provides a very safe setting in which you can be on the periphery of the crowd and still hear everything, see everything, and yet no one knows your name for 10 years. It's a big enough crowd here at this church, in a church like the size of this church or our church, you can't be new and stay hidden for very long. You could try. I see plenty of people coming to our church trying to be like, shh, leave me alone. And they try to put on like this invisibility cloak where they just look down at the bulletin. They don't look up at anyone. And they want to be left alone because they're uncomfortable. And I get that. We try to leave you alone kind of. But after like three weeks in a church our size, you're going to be noticed. But you go to Willow Creek, you could be there for 30 years and no one has any idea who you are. I think that's the way many people want to approach God is from a safe distance on their own terms, just safe enough that I can get a view of what's happening without anyone noticing me or calling me forward into uncomfortable things. And I fully, 100% understand that. But that says a lot about where Zacchaeus was that particular day. Something had made him ready to see Jesus, but he wanted to see Jesus from a safe distance. Can you track with that? right that's the way I, I was very very shy when i was younger and then i completely changed when i got to high school because a friend he did surgery on my personality <laughs> completely god used that guy to completely change my personality what i do for a living now standing in front of people talking it would have given me a heart attack when i was in junior high i would never have imagined doing this for a living so here's the key is trying to stay hidden And then this happens. Here's Jesus coming by where he's in the tree, and he's like, oh, good, I'm going to get a good view. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops right in front of the tree, and he looks right up at where he's hiding. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and this is crazy. He called him by his name, Zacchaeus. How how does he know my name? Not only he trying to hide, he could not believe this man stopped right where he was, and he he had directed the attention of the whole crowd to them. I've been to churches like this where when you're a visitor, they make you stand up. It's old school. They don't do this anymore. But back in the 80s, this is how, when you're a visitor to a church, you would sit there quietly and they go, you there, we don't know you. Could you stand up? And you'd have to introduce yourself to the whole church. It was frightening. That's what happened to Zacchaeus that day. Jesus stops right in front of the tree. and goes, Zacchaeus, come down. Now, at that moment, if you're Zacchaeus, all the blood drops out of you. But you're just completely horrified. And what do you think Zacchaeus is expecting to hear from a man who is thought to be the son of God, the greatest religious teacher of his day? Because he's been spending his whole life abusing his countrymen, stealing money from them doing all kinds of evil things, what do you think he's expecting to hear from Jesus in that moment? What would you guess? Zacchaeus, you have such a nice donkey. Oh, your house must be so nice. Do you think he's expecting to hear good things? He's expecting to hear really hard scolding. Maybe he was expecting to be ridiculed. Hey, little man, what are you doing? You're like a monkey up in that tree. Come on down maybe a whole crowd would laugh at him because they really would love to just laugh at this guy without penalty. Maybe expected to hear, you're a thief, Zacchaeus. You make it easy for the Romans to steal from your own countrymen. You're a terrible person. Shame on you. I think there were a lot of things he was expecting to hear in that moment, but what does he hear? Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. The last thing he expects to hear is what he hears from Jesus. Now, you may think it's rude to invite yourself over to someone's house, but back in those days, if you were a celebrated figure, the greatest honor you could give someone was to invite yourself to their home. That would elevate their status in the community, right? Can you imagine if a famous singer or actor visited this church, and afterwards you're like, I think, oh, my gosh, I think that's... I think that's Taylor Swift, I think that's... And you, and then that person goes... Uh, Dave and Sandy, I must go to your home today after fellowship. How would you feel? You'd be blown away. Your status in this community would instantly rise, as you pointed out by this celebrated figure. I think what Zacchaeus was expecting to hear from Jesus is what every one of us secretly expects to hear from God because even though everyone else may be fooled, we know the truth about our own hearts. We know the secret things we think. We know the ambitions and desires of our hearts that we don't tell anyone else. We know the things we have said about people after we have turned their backs on us. We know that the hatred that we feel, the envy, the bitterness, the jealousy, all of it. We know more about ourselves than anyone else knows and secretly we suspect that if God ever confronted us, it wouldn't be to say nice things to us. That's just I think that's the heart of most of us. And definitely if you're a teenager and above, you've been alive long enough to collect those kinds of feelings. And so Zacchaeus is waiting for Jesus to reject him, but instead Jesus invites himself to his home and gives him the greatest honor. And everyone in the crowd is like, why him? Do you have any idea what kind of man he is? You should not even be seen near his neighborhood. But Jesus says, I must go to your house today. And Zacchaeus, in the the joy of unexpected response from Jesus, he was expecting to be humiliated, to be rebuked, to be hated. He thought everyone in the crowd would look at the little man in the tree climbing like a monkey and laugh at him. Instead, Jesus gives him the greatest honor in the crowd, and it's totally unexpected. This is the way it feels to meet Jesus truly. You don't get what you expect. You don't get what you deserve. You get something radically different. When you meet Jesus, you experience the acceptance and love of God that your heart has been yearning for all your life, and you try to get it some other way. And when you meet Jesus truly, you get that for the first time in your life. And little Zacchaeus, like a monkey, comes climbing down from that tree, and he goes, all right, yes, you could be a guest in my house. And with great excitement and joy, that's the feeling that always marks someone meeting Jesus truly for the first time. There are often tears, but they are usually tears of joy and relief, regret followed quickly by tremendous celebration. Remember that being lost is not just about how bad we are. We are all bad. And even after we become Christians, we're still pretty bad. Can I just ask a question? How many of you are, are Christians in this room? It's, it's not like a dirty secret. You sh- if you're a Christian, how many of you want to go to heaven when you die? Let's do that. Let's go selfish way. I'm not a Christian. Being a Christian doesn't mean I'm awesome, it just means I'm saved.
1: If you're a Christian today, How many of you felt that the very first time you understood who Jesus was?
0: Great excitement, great joy, and it's not so much that by being a Christian, you have stopped sinning, you've stopped struggling. Christians in this room, can I get an amen? Do you still struggle with your flesh? Do you still lose your temper? Do you still envy
1: others? Are you still materialistic? Do you still look at things you shouldn't look at? Yes,
0: we all do. And yet, the good news is that when Jesus looks at you, he sees someone that he has accepted because of his righteousness. You are righteous because of him, not because of you. So even if your life doesn't radically change overnight, this is the good news of the gospel is that it's not just about, loss is not just about being bad, it's about being bad and being far from God. When Zacchaeus realized that Jesus had accepted him, he was able to accept Jesus. We sometimes get it the other way around. We think, because I accepted Jesus, he has to accept me back. Right? It doesn't work that way. When I was in junior high, we had these dances where the boys had to cross the whole gym. It's the most awkward way to socialize people. All the boys on one side of the gym, all the girls on the other side. And if you wanted to ask a girl to dance, you had to walk across the gym in front of the whole school and be like, do you you want to dance with me? And if the girl says no, you're like, the long walk of shame back. (laughs) I'll just tell you right now, I made that long walk of shame so many times. It didn't deter me from trying. If nothing else,
1: I'm persistent. <clears throat>
0: but it's this feeling of, like, does God accept me because I accepted him? No. We accept God because we realize in a moment he has first accepted me. He's willing to accept me just as I am. Why would you want me? And yet he, he meets us and he says, you, I accept. Come to me right now. And it's that amazing thing
1: that opens our hearts to him.
0: Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. He realized that as Jesus accepted him, he was now able to accept Jesus into his heart, into his home, into the whole of his life. His spiritual change had started with the surprise that Jesus the son of God accepted him first. Just as he was, filthy, sinful, selfish, evil, just like that. That is why we call the gospel good news. In this relationship with God, none of us made the first move, none. None of us. God always makes the first approach. He always made first move. Now you can imagine how the people feel because they have been groaning under the weight of this man's dishonest taxes for so long. Everyone in the town hated this little guy. Stupid Zacchaeus. Kids, you can't eat because Zacchaeus. No vacation because of Zacchaeus. You want dessert? Sorry, blame Zacchaeus. They all hated him. Even the kids learned to hate him because he's who their parents blamed for how broke they were. And here comes the son of God, the great teacher of our generation. And they're expecting to just rip him a new one. And instead, what does Jesus do? I'd like to be a guest in your home. And they're like, is this guy for real? Does he know people at all? You do not want to be seen with this man. And yet Jesus decides to go to his house. It's to prove something. We think that we become Christians because we're almost pretty good. And then we just go, and I'm going to be a Christian now. I'm pretty good. And now I'm awesome. He's trying to teach us that that's not how we come to God. We come as the worst, and we step in as the worst. And Jesus says, and still you are mine. That's the gospel. It's why we call it good news. It's not, the gospel is not that pretty good people become awesome people. It's that the worst people become God's people. That's the gospel, and that's why we call it good news. And very expectedly, The people were very displeased. Does this guy have no clue what kind of man he just accepted an invitation to? Don't you know that this man does not deserve your presence in his home, much less in his life? Meanwhile, Zacchaeus is going through a whole other thing. He's saying, I'm going to give away half of my wealth to the poor. This is how you know a person has met God, is that the one thing that gave them the most protection, the most security, they're willing to let it go. They're willing to let it go because it's no longer the thing they trust to protect them or to give them meaning in life. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, if, everyone's like, if, (laughs) give me a break, you're going to be broke by the end of this because he promises I will give them back four times as much. How much money did this guy steal? He's going to give away half, and he's still going to pay back four times as much as he stole from everyone. This guy stole a lot of money in his life. The mercy and love that Jesus showed to Zacchaeus changed him not just in his heart, but even in his mind. He's willing to give up half of everything and to recompensate people who he stole from four times what he took. See, God doesn't love us because we do the right thing. We are truly able to do the right thing because we understand that God loves us. If you get that backwards, you will have no other destiny than to become a Pharisee. And the Bible has nothing positive to say about the Pharisees. They are people who always did the right thing hoping God would love them. Christians are people who know that God loves them, and out of joy they do the right thing because it is what pleases the one who has loved them unconditionally. Jesus then declares, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And that word lost doesn't mean that they're just messed up people. It means that they are lost to a father who longs for them, a father who wants them to come home. We celebrate Christmas. I'd like us to remember why Jesus came. Because when we focus on a cuddly baby in a manger and we sing songs about gifts and sleighs and reindeer, It's very easy to forget that this was a baby born in order to die. And he was destined to die because we ourselves could not bear the full penalty for the things we have done against God. And so he came to do this for us. Christmas, we celebrated because of the arrival of one who came to take our penalty for us. So that we can have a hope that isn't just wishing, it's a real hope that somehow through what He did, I could face
1: God again and be His child.
0: I want you to know that if you don't know Jesus and you're sitting in this room, then may this church be that safe place for you to draw a little nearer. We welcome you, we love that you're here. but if you don't know Jesus yet, Please know that as you continue to live in this community among these people, one of these days, Jesus is going to break through into your life. He's going to tell you who he really is. He's going to show you in that same moment who you really are. And instead of heaviness and sorrow that will come, there will be immediately a joy and a lightness in your spirit that nothing else in this world can give you. I still remember the day when I was 16 and a half and I was saved. I still remember the emotions and the feelings, even the way my body felt. I will never forget that day for as long as I live. It's my prayer that every one of you in this room who does not know Jesus in this way yet will know him one day. Continue living in community here, be a part of everything that happens, and know that one day when you're ready, when the time is right, God will show himself to you, and it will be the best day of your entire existence. Until then, may you find among the people of this church a safe and inviting home in which to build friendships and to draw ever nearer to your Savior. Don't leave the church. Stay. Continue your journey of exploration. And I want you to know that if Jesus is your Savior, then Christmas is an occasion to consider the great love of God for you. How that love for you has given you real hope.
1: On the worst day of your whole life, you still have an eternal hope because of what Jesus has promised for you. I think it's important for us to pause at Christmas and remember that. One of the greatest
0: witnesses to a watching world is not the words that come out of our mouth, but the smiles on the faces of those whose hope gives them joy. If we just went by the facial expressions in churches all over the United States this morning, we would not know that joy is one of the most important words in the Christian vocabulary. Amen? So can I just ask you a question? Could you just do me a favor? Could we all together, just in recognition of what Jesus makes possible for every man, woman, and child, could we just for a moment smile together? Encourage one another because this is good news. I know that doesn't erase automatically the heavy things you're carrying. It doesn't make your problems go away. But just know this. Isn't it good to know there is a source of good news no matter what's happening in your life? And it's a good news that is unshakable. It's a good news promised for you and me. It's what we're celebrating at Christmas.
1: I want to invite us to just bow our heads together. I, I don't know where
0: this Sunday finds you personally. I'm guessing for some of you, this is like your 30th or 40th Christmas service that you've been in in your life. For some of you, this is kind of new. You're probably coming to this Christmas from all different places in life. And for some of you, joy seems like a word a thousand miles away. And I want to tell you that if you continue to dwell on the things that are happening in your life, that's probably going to remain the case. Just for this day, in honor of what Jesus has done, can we ask the Lord to help us lay aside the troubles which are so real and pressing and remind us that on the worst day of our lives, in Jesus, God has made real hope
1: and real joy possible for us.
0: Maybe it's been a while since you've felt that then I would ask you not to feel guilty or burdened. Just say a simple prayer in dependence on God. God, I'm so tired. I can't even work up the energy to ask you for this. Just come, touch me. I haven't felt joy in so long. But you are the God of joy. It is a first
1: fruit. Fill my heart, Lord, with the joy that comes when Jesus settles into my heart.
0: So let's just sit in that for a moment. Let's be in a posture of asking him what we cannot generate for ourselves. If you're in this room today, and in your honest heart, you can say, and you don't need to confess this to any other human, But if you could just say even before God, I don't think I know you the way Zacchaeus came to know you that day.
1: I want you to know that you are most welcome at this church. It is good that you're here. I also want you to know
0: that there is a world of blessing that you haven't yet accessed or experienced things that the living God has for you, which you have yet to taste. And I want to ask, if if that describes you, if you would just say, God, if there is more to this than what I've seen, please show me,
1: open me up to that. Touch me the way you touched Zacchaeus that day. Let's pray for that. Finally, if you are
0: a born-again Christian, but the joy and the wonder of it has leaked out over years of trials and disappointments, may I invite you in this Christmas season just for a moment to lay aside the troubles that feel so real and ask God to reintroduce himself to you as the joy
1: and the wonder of the first day you met him.
0: The troubles of our life do not define us. The destiny we have in Jesus defines us. So, If you are a Christian and the joy of your salvation is a distant memory. Ask God to restore to you the joy of your salvation. Ask him. He he loves to do this for his people.
1: Let's ask him together, just for a moment. Jesus, we thank you for being the light of the world, for being the hope of all those who, like Zacchaeus, live broken lives trying to compensate for the things we were not given. Angry, bitter, building regret after regret.
0: Thank you for the hope that you bring to such a life that we don't have to fight for our joy, but joy comes freely as we open our lives to you. Lord, many of us are tired. This has not been an easy life. And we feel the need to be carried. God, we thank you for being the one who delights to carry your children. For those who cannot even bring themselves in front of you, draw us into your presence. Help us to get there. For those who have lost the joy of their salvation, God, in this season, we pray the greatest gift you would give to each is to restore that joy. To give them the gift of forgetfulness for the things that have disappointed and numbed their hearts. And help them to recapture the wonder of
1: knowing God.
0: Lord, take our scars and heal them. Take our wounds and bind them up. Take our regrets and cover them with your forgiveness and love. For each person in this room, draw us ever and ever closer to you. You are our hope, our salvation, and the only enduring source of real joy in this world. We pray in Jesus' name.
1: Amen.